Okay, this is the Immigrant Hustle Podcast. I am your boy, B-Magic. I got my boy, Noise, with me. Yes, yes. And today we are with a very special guest, a DJ, a cultural curator, if you will, and someone who represents for the city of Brampton so hard. Uh, please welcome to the show, DJ Roshni. Hi, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks so much for joining us. I know we first met, first met I think, last summer. Mm-hmm. And then ever since then, like we saw you spin and we're just like, yo, we got to get you on the podcast. And then we initially talked to you about the subject and then we started um, doing some construction in mm-hmm. our in at, at Magic's house. So the, the what you see in the visual there now, that's after all the construction has been done. So we oh, wanted to create. <laughs> yeah, we wanted to create this space where we could like record music and do the podcast. But as soon as he like got towards the end of constructing the studio, everything hit with the pandemic. So mm, we had yeah. to kind of pivot and go virtually. But uh, no, I'm glad we we're able to make it work and have you on. Yeah, it's always funny how those things line up. Like just when you think everything's good, a global pandemic happens. <laughs> so. It's okay. When when we reopen the studio for uh, for uh, more podcasts, we will definitely invite you back to do this properly. But for okay. now, this is the way we're gonna have to do it. Deal. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. As we do, as we like to begin with our show, uh, we like to take it way back and just kind of get a better understanding of your early days, your family's early days in Canada. Um, so, where did your family? Or when did your family first come to Canada and where did they migrate from? Okay, so my family is Sri Lankan um, and I was born in Canada, but my parents came, um, my mom came in 93, I think, or like 92. Um, And then my dad came a year after her. So my mom was here first uh, because a lot of her siblings like decided that they were going to live in Canada. So it's just like, the whole like family had all picked Canada as like oh, their so, new home. <laughs> so there were already siblings before her that had made the move. Yeah. So I had like uh, an uncle of mine, uh, like her brother, that was the first one to come over. And like, just like year after year, like somebody new was like being sponsored kind of. Um, and so my mom like came along with that because she was like, maybe like in her mid 20s. So that actually, yeah, she's probably like around my age or like a little bit older. Mm-hmm. Um, that she like came to Canada in the 90s and then uh, she was already seeing my dad and he was in Saudi Arabia working um, he's also like Sri Lankan but he was out there uh, for work um, and then he was like I guess just like working there for a while and then came to Canada as well um, like reunited with my mom and then they got married and they like went back to Sri Lanka for that but they were living in Canada um, and so, like, within a year of, like, being married and living in the same place, I arrived. <laughs> um, so I was born in Scarborough, and I lived in North York for, like, my first few years, like, until, uh, like, senior kindergarten, maybe. Uh, and then I moved to Brampton and lived, like, I grew up there. Um, and I only really left uh, when I was, like, away for school. But all of my kind of developmental years uh, were spent in Brampton. Yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, what are like your earliest memories from like growing up? Like, was there music going on in the house? Was it like multi-families yeah. under one roof? Like, you know, everybody has their own version of the story. What was your story like? Yeah. Okay. So like to set the scene, <laughs> um, <laughs> when I was like, like those years in Brampton, um, it was like me, um, my mom and my dad, my sister is six years younger than me. 
um, which is kind of like a funny age difference because we're always in like a different life stage until now, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, it was like the four of us and then my grandma was mostly living with us, so my mom's mom. Um, So there's kind of like various generations within the house. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of music playing. My parents are both pretty musical, like my dad definitely. Um, When I was younger, he was like in a band with like some other uncles. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah. So I think so he had always like played music like he learned how to like play like the piano and guitars and stuff on his own. Um and I think even when he was in Saudi Arabia he was like playing in like bands and stuff, but he did the same thing when we were in Canada. Um and like they would play a lot of like Sri Lankan music, like Sinhalese music and um, but also like reggae covers and stuff. Um, and like there was like some Bob Marley songs that I was just convinced was like my dad's band's music. I was like, this isn't a real song. They just sing it and they just made it up. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was like my first like introduction into music is like my dad just like being like, I would be at like his band practice and that was me getting babysat basically. So stuff like that. Um, did they did they ever record anything or was it just kind of the the live experience? Yeah, it was mostly live. Like I think they probably have like recordings for their self, but they never like put it out that I know of. Or they would have like maybe a couple like tapes and stuff, but it was kind of just for like them. It wasn't like this is something to buy. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was mostly like live. Like that's what I remember is like my dad being on some kind of stage and like just like jamming out with his like other uncle friends. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the, the music that you were exposed to at a young age, whether it sounds like it was a mix of a lot of different things like reggae, mm. uh, more Sri Lankan music from back home. Like, do, do you find that that still factors into your sound now as a DJ? Yeah, hundred percent. Cause I definitely have a more like global music taste. Like I listen or I play like a lot of dance hall, but also like reggaeton or like uh, what else do I play? Afrobeat like kind of everything um, and I think like even just like music from Sri Lanka in general is like such a mix of places because it was such um, it was like what's it called like there's like ports so like there's all these different people that are coming in and bringing like their cultures and stuff so there's like the Portuguese the Dutch um, I don't know who else um, just like more like local like Southeast Asian countries as well, um, aside from like colonizers. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like just the music in general um, has a lot of different influences. Um, and then also, yeah, just listening to all of these different genres my dad would introduce me to. And I remember very like specifically, um, my dad had like a drum kit in our house, like in our basement, because he would like randomly like play the drums for his band sometimes. Um, and like, I remember him teaching me, um, different like drum patterns. Like he'd be like, this is a soca drum pattern. This is reggae. This is whatever. Um, cause I was like really into the drums as well. Um, and like those kind of like, even like music theory, I feel like I got like a lot of different genres. When did you get into the actual art of DJing or when did you actually realize what a DJ was and when did it like... Did it spark something within yourself? Or even to, to add on to that too, was DJing your first pick of an art that you wanted to pursue? Mm-hmm. 
Um, I also grew up playing piano. Music has been like such a consistent part of my life. It's almost hard to like explain it. <laughs> um, but so yeah, like my parents put me in piano class first and I just like did that and it was just their way of like teaching me discipline. Like they had no expectation or like desire for me to be like a concert pianist or anything. Like I was still supposed to be like the lawyer, teacher, whatever. Um, <laughs> Then, like, the classes were just supposed to be, like, me learning how to, like, sit at, like, one spot and stuff like that. Um, but that was kind of my earliest taste into, like, the arts was classical piano. And then um, I hated it for a while because I just would rather have, like, played outside or done whatever a kid does. But over time, I, like, really started to appreciate it. And I applied to, like, Mayfield to do piano there didn't get in, but it's fine because apparently I found my way into music anyway. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was kind of like what I wanted to do. And then DJing happened so like serendipitously. It was like I had something I'd always been curious about and I always thought it was like just a cool thing. Like I feel like it's like a the general consensus is that like DJs are cool or like that's a cool thing to <laughs> pursue. <laughs> so like, I also like felt like that growing up, but I never sort of like, like saw it as something I could do, whether like hobby or like professionally or whatever. Um, and I don't really know like what stopped me all of those years, like when I was in like high school and stuff. Cause now my friends will tell me that like, even in high school, they remembered me like saying like DJing seems so cool. Um, I don't remember that, but I don't know like what kind of stopped me from pursuing it at that point or like kind of, uh, yeah, like looking into it a bit more. But what ended up happening was I went away uh, to Queens University for grad school and um, yeah, there was like no parties that I wanted to go to, but grad school is like such a weird experience where like you get there and they're like, cool, like every day you have like, not a lot of work so just welcome have fun like you just have so much free time <laughs> yeah. um and so yeah all of my friends um or like my closest friends at the time we were all like really into like afrobeat and dance hall but just couldn't find it in this like little university town um so we just created our own like party and i at the beginning was just like promoting it and was just like getting people through the door Mm -hmm. um and then over time I just realized I had access to a club like all like just so easily and all this free time to learn stuff so I just like picked up a uh, virtual DJ and like played around with it and then I did that for a few months and really liked it um I was still interested so I bought like a small controller that I actually still use like I've never upgraded <laughs> um and yeah I would just like open for our resident DJ um, when it got to like that level of comfort where I wanted to perform in front of people. And then uh, I did that for like a few months. And then, yeah, by the time I graduated and moved back home to Brampton, I was like comfortable enough to like play gigs. Um, and like, I guess like people had known that I was like out there DJing. So they were pretty open to like booking me I guess um or like my friends didn't have like any hesitation they were just like oh I have like a random work thing like you should come play music <laughs> yeah um and then yeah like one thing kind of like snowballed into another and people that didn't even know me started booking me which is always nice <laughs> <laughs> uh what what was the vibe like at some of those 
parties at university? I mean, you mentioned you're in a small mm-hmm. town. Um, what were some of the challenges with actually getting people into the door? And what was the actual makeup of the crowd? Yeah, it was. Uh, I actually really miss it. Like, I haven't really found a similar vibe anywhere else, which is kind of funny. Um because even though it's like this small university town, like it's predominantly white and like it's also like Queens is like where the wealthy send their kids. So it's like not just like everyday white people. It's like they all went to like private school and like whatever. Um, like they're not listening to dance hall just on their you know, like time off kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right. And so it actually ended up being like really easy, though, because there was such a uh, need for that kind of space among like the students of color um so like once like the word got out that we were doing a club night rather than like a house party and like this is what you could listen to it kind of just like marketed itself and so the room was full of mainly like black and brown kids um and it was nice like it felt very authentic like everybody like knew the words like i don't know i feel like no one was saying like the n-word when they shouldn't be kind of thing (laughs) um it was still felt very like um yeah just like genuine and very like carefree uh and I I think it's really important to have spaces like that when you're so far away from home and I think that's kind of like what made it easy to like keep it going is like there was such an obvious need for it so we would just have to like get like our dates from the venue and like deal with them and then marketing it was like pretty easy yeah it's like you're you're far away from home but you're still able to find that sense of community there yeah, because there's like nowhere else that you could really like go and like dance to the music you want or like um, be around people that like also know the lyrics to like whatever song. Um, and I think it's also like going to like other clubs um, like outside of our night. Um, if I went with like some of my black friends or like one of my friends in particular, um, Janie, she's like a really great dancer. But like as soon as she like starts like all of these kids like pull out their phones and they're just like documenting it it's so weird like you don't feel like dancing I guess when like that kind of like unneeded like attention is on you Mm -hmm. um but then like when you go to like a party like ours it's like less common for that kind of stuff to happen because that's just not like how we would respond to it so yeah it's like very much needed (laughs) Um, let's say for somebody who might be going into university now and feels like they know a niche market that is needed within their community but isn't necessarily being put out there, what would you give them for advice to for somebody who has no idea how to get you know a venue and yeah. to promote it and all that? Like in a simple way, how could you easily explain it in the uh, what are the first steps that they need to take to uh, accomplish this? Yeah, well, like even when my friends and I were doing this, we had never done anything like that ever before. Like um, we were just like the first time we did it, we simply just wanted a party for ourselves. And like that was kind of like we were just going to do like a one time thing, just like have a night where we could like do whatever we want, listen to music we want. And then we just it just kind of like became like a monthly thing because the venue came back and they're like oh we made a shit ton of money let's do it again (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah if I would give like advice it would be generally I think if you're a student and want to pursue anything entrepreneurial um 
like most likely that's like a time in your life when you have like the least amount of responsibility and like like yeah just like you have like probably not a lot of people that are truly like dependent on you and like you those are kind of like your selfish years so I think it's like the perfect time to like test out any kind of like thing you want to do um and then if it's like specific to club nights I find in a lot of those like university towns there isn't the same like scene as say like Toronto so like in Toronto you have to like like I don't know you have to like meet a certain criteria for like a venue to like take a chance on you um whereas like in those smaller towns like they don't really have people that can put on parties like that so they're pretty open to like just they might give you like a shitty night like a Wednesday or like a Thursday and like like that's where you're gonna have to start um but they're pretty I find like receptive to people bringing event ideas so I think it's like it's a good place to like figure out your like event planning kind of strategy and how that looks for you. Awesome. Uh, can you can you talk a little bit about making that transition? Like you mentioned you bought the controller and you're just kind of mm-hmm. practicing on your own. What was your first actual experience being a DJ at a gig at a club? Like were there nerves going into it? Yeah. Did you feel prepared or how did you prepare? Okay. Um, it was kind of nice that I ended up like my first gig was like opening up at my own club night so it's like like I don't really have anyone to answer to because I'm like booking the DJs anyways so even if I'm like trash no one's gonna like really come after me aside from the crowd (laughs) right right (laughs) so that was like a nice like way to get some of the pressure off um and I've I think the first night I ever DJed was a Latin night. Like we had our party. It was called Tropic Like It's Hot. And it's like dancehall, Afrobeat, Soka. And then we had like the first hour was like a a Latin hour. Um, Because we had like, I think it was like um, a student group. They do like salsa lessons or something. And they came to us, I think. Or we approached them. There was like, we realized there was some need for like, the Latin community, um, the Latinx community. And so we like kind of like attached it to like what we were already doing. So in the end, my first gig was like the Latin hour of that party. Um, And it was like, I thought there was going to be no people and I was kind of like betting on there being no people. So I could just like be bad and like, it would be okay. Um, But then, yeah, because it was like such a specific thing, like Latin hour, like it was only one hour. People actually came and I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to entertain them. (laughs) Um, But it went well. Oh, there's one time where like I didn't I was like having too much fun and I didn't realize the song had ended. So it was just like silence in the club. And then like the people that were there started clapping and it was so it was so sweet. And (laughs) I can't imagine that ever happening again. Um, But yeah, it was like really cute. And I was definitely nervous and I think I'm generally like just always nervous like I always have stage fright like till now like that will not go away um but yeah I think um it was like wildly less frightening because I was not like booked by somebody and I just kind of created my own opportunity and that's where it started and then once I felt comfortable enough to like be in front of a crowd that didn't know me or like be booked by someone for money then like I made that transition but at the beginning I was just kind of like doing things um just through like other 
things I created. So it was easier. <laughs> and I think that's a great point that you hit on. You said you created your own opportunity. Mm-hmm. And I know even for myself and Magic, when we were starting, it's it kind of reminds me of the story that you just shared where we were like booking our own shows and kind of mm-hmm. learning how to run things on our own because we just wanted to to do stuff for our own group of friends. And yeah. I think that's where a lot of great things can start from. It's like it starts from an idea. You find two or three or four or five like-minded people that are kind of on the same wavelength. And then you just do something to entertain, you know, yourselves. But then at the same time, you end up finding other people that are looking for the same thing. Yeah, everything like, yeah, all the DJ stuff that happened was just either me trying to like throw a party just for fun or like me just like never like I bought the controller and stuff, but never intended to like DJ for money. Like I never thought it would get there. I was just like, I just want to learn how to do this just to know how to do it because I've always been fascinated. Um, But then, yeah, once you like go in with such a like, what's the word? Like just like good intentions, like just other things usually happen. Um, I don't know, last year uh, when we first met in uh, 2019, you mentioned that that was the first time your parents had come to see you spin. Oh, um, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so how was your family's reception uh, to you kind of making this transition? Like you went away for grad school, but you came back as a DJ. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how was the uh, the reception to that at home? Yeah, that was definitely a interesting time for our family. Because <laughs> um, I went, so when I was at Queens, I was doing like, I was in their business program. Like I was doing a master's in like entrepreneurship at like this prestigious like business school. And my parents were like so happy. Um, And then like I came back probably during like um, maybe it was like reading week or like sometime in the spring. And I was like, hey, guys, I started throwing parties for money. Oh, no, because I told them I got a job. They were like, oh, what you what are you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm throwing club nights. (laughs) Um, So that was like a shock because it was like the first time they had heard about me and like nightlife in one sentence. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So they were like, why would you do that? You could literally get any other job. And like, it's just so unnecessary. Um, But they never like stopped me or anything. I was also like far away. Like they couldn't, there's only so much you can do to like stop a person. But um, that was kind of like a weird conversation. I was really nervous to tell them too, because they, yeah, we'd never like talked about anything like that. And um, then I came back and I was like, hey, guys, I've started DJing those club club nights I told you about. Um, (laughs) So like the shock factor of like nightlife had kind of passed already. Um, And I think they at the time, because I was still in grad school, they were like, cool, like you can do this thing. Like we're not really like it's not really on our radar like that. Um, So that was okay. And then when I finished school, um, I think that's when it became more of like a thing I was pursuing. And at the time I was also starting Solidarity and Sound, which is an educational initiative, um, kind of like addressing gender equity in music um, and working towards that. So I was kind of like working on that and I was, I had framed it as I'm done school, I'm trying to work on this thing that at the time I wanted to be like a startup. Um, and then I'm just DJing on the side to like make money while I build this thing. So that seemed like in their minds, like an acceptable way to like be DJing, like for this like greater purpose or like on the side, it was very much a side hustle. Um, 
so that was still okay and then slowly over time like DJing picked up for me to the point where I was like do I really need this other startup if I'm making all this money DJing like I feel like if my thing is like an income haven't I created it now Um, and then I was starting to look at like could Solidarity and Sound still function more as like a community initiative and then like and then that kind of like changed the projects we were working on and then I could just like continue DJing for money um and at that point they were like whoa this is too much (laughs) um this is not what we signed up for uh so there's a lot of like conversations around like you can't just like be a dj like that can't be your title (laughs) um but at the same time while that would happen they would still like if i needed help like getting to a gig or like renting speakers or something like they would still be there so it's very it's very mixed signals (laughs) um so there is still this underlying like we don't want you to do this as a full-time thing but like yes we'll drive you to long mcquade today (laughs) so um yeah confusing time but yeah then i think over time it just um there was like certain gigs that i think even they started to realize that like it's okay like i did um what are some notable ones? When people started asking me to do weddings, that was like something they were into. Mm-hmm. And they were like very, um, they kind of wanted me to like just be a wedding DJ. And I was like, no, that's not, that's not what I'm here to do. Right, um, right. So they started to kind of find like ways to be okay with it. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, there was like certain gigs that was just like, maybe a little bit more eye-opening like I did I DJed for my friend a day when she opened for Ja Rule and Ashanti and I like just they that didn't mean anything to them like they don't know who those artists are but like I came home after that gig and I showed them a picture of like the thousands of people in the crowd and they're like oh that's pretty cool <laughs> so there's like little moments like that where they were like okay or when I started um DJing through an agency that was like another thing where they're like this seems like an acceptable kind of okay thing uh but yeah seeing me dj at um the meta brampton event i don't know i kind of like asked them like what they thought of it and they were like yeah it was nice like it was it was good (laughs) (laughs) um so i didn't get like too much out of them but i think it was interesting for like all of us to like be in this in that kind of space together um and yeah, I think it's definitely, like, helps because my mom, for sure, like, before that day, um, whenever she thinks I'm going out to gigs, she thinks I'm, like, going to these, like, like filthy places with, like, bar fights every two seconds. And, like, <laughs> that's, like, her perception of bars, I think. Yeah. So it was nice to kind of, I think, um, counteract that by having her in that space and feeling safe and fine. <laughs> so, yeah, overall, they're very supportive. Um but it's definitely been like a weird kind of like windy road to get to where we are now. <laughs> hey, the fact that they even said, hey, good job. Like that's that's the yeah. most you can ask as far as encouragement goes from brown parents. Yeah, brown yeah. Parents, yeah, that's like yeah. A, that's a great job right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you talked a little bit about uh, solidarity and sound. Uh, mm-hmm. Can you talk about kind of what your your mindset was going into that, why you felt it was necessary to create a program like that? Yeah, so um, Solidarity and Sound is something I started in 
probably 2018, I think, um, when I was still in school. Because one thing I found, like, doing um, the club nights in Kingston was, like, uh, we were doing a lot of, like, negotiating with the venue and, like, just, yeah, like, working kind of behind the scenes to make it happen. And there was, like, a lot of things, even just with, like, even the negotiating alone, where we were, like, it's very, like, um, hardball tactics. Like, they're very, like, aggressive with, like, whatever they're talking about. And um, a little... uh, condescending and so a lot of times me and my other women of color friends that were doing this thing we would be like is this like how they're treating everybody or like is it just like an us thing and there's like no um like there's no other group to compare with because there's no one else really doing anything or looking like us doing that thing um so we just got kind of always had this thing where we're like maybe there's just like kind of like this to everybody maybe it's like kind of what we think it is but we'll never know um and it did feel a little like isolating I guess uh to not be able to compare that so at the time I wanted to create a like online educational platform um to help like connect other people um that are in those like smaller communities um to talk about stuff like negotiating and like what is fair compensation and what what does like safety look like in nightlife different things like that um and kind of like uh, a master class or like a udemy kind of like model um and that's like what i did a lot of my masters on at the end um and like what i left school like thinking i would do um And I don't know, over time, I just like, oh, I had like quite a few issues getting grants. That's like another thing. So Mm. I was like, had all these ideas. And I was like, oh, this is not like, I can't fund this. Like, I just got out of school. I have like, like so much debt. Like, I don't want to add to more of it. Um, So then I was just like, yeah, I was like, I'll just like take this kind of day by day and like DJ in the meantime while I try and make money. Uh, And then like over time, I guess like through the relationships I built um through DJing I was able to do like different things with solidarity and sound like more stuff in person uh so like workshops and stuff and that's kind of what we do now um we have like pre-covid we had uh, a monthly workshop series around like um like audio engineering and production and that kind of side of things and getting more um women and non-binary folks into those fields and like skill building those communities um and then we'll do like a hackathon every now and then and like different things but now it's more like in person um so there's like this very big shift i think from what i originally thought solidarity and sound would be and what even my life in general would be and then to like what it is now um just through like meeting people because like another thing was that when I was in Kingston it was like just me and just like the ideas that I thought were cool and then when I moved back home um I got to meet like other people that also worked in the industry and like what kind of things that they wanted so I was able to like change um I guess like the focus over time and like adapt or iterate yeah (laughs) yeah and how was the reception like when you started um, offering workshops and things like that how was the um the feedback to towards uh, the focus of the programming um I think it was positive um I'm trying to think I think like another thing 
that happened during the shift is like before I could only talk about like hypothetical things like what I wanted to do and like what would be a nice addition to the industry whereas like when I kind of switched to doing things that were more like um doable like on like a grassroots level um I just was able to like make an impact immediately like um there yeah like we did this hackathon with like Ryerson in March of 2019 yeah March of 2019 and then um we had Tao from Blue Crane as one of our hackathon judges and then she was like at this event and she met an artist Nade um that was like one of the participants and then I guess like they connected or like got to know each other a bit more and then when the Ja Rule Nishanti show came up Tao had booked Nade for it but like that like I don't think that would have happened if like they weren't in this space that we created so like there's like little stories like that where I can like see like the part that we're playing in like other people's careers um so I think for me like from an impact perspective like I can very clearly see like how we're like helping people um and like helping them like kind of get to like wherever they want to go um and being a part of their story where like before it was just like me kind of like pitching to like grants and like whoever and being like I want to do this like I want to help people but like not having many ways to actually like help people in that moment so I think for me it's been like very rewarding and I think that it's been helpful for other people too because we can like connect them to industry people or like whatever um even just like collaborators and stuff so I'm like really I'm like really proud of like what we've been able to do. <laughs> I feel like there is a lot more female DJs in the world than what there used to be. Obviously not as much as we'd like to see, but what do you feel like going forward we can do to get more females into DJing and more of these art forms that we that they tend to consider a more male dominated art? Like what what can we do to inspire young females to feel like it's okay to to go into these environments where like you said like you had your mom come to the club to show her that it's not like this grungy place although it can be at yeah. times <laughs> but like you know it's not like that all the time and how it could be a safe workspace for females all over what do you feel like are the next steps ooh okay let's see um i mean i feel like we still have a way to go in terms of like safety within nightlife like and I don't know what the like kind of I don't know like what the answer is I just know like that's generally a problem um but um I think it's like a mix maybe um of like the visibility like really like shining a light on people that are like out there right now um and because I know for me like I'm sure like one of the main things that helped me like I guess like want to pick up that like controller like download the software was um I was watching Boiler Room uh when I was kind of like interested in it all um where they like broadcast different like parties from around the world and there'd be like women 
that look like me that were DJing and like doing such an amazing job. And so I think that was like definitely a moment for me where I was like, why don't I just try this? Like, why am I, why am I only admiring this craft? Um, so I think like kind of like actively trying to like, like shine a light on the people that are like kind of in that space right now is helpful. And then um, I think also one thing with DJing is that like for a long time, it's been like, um, you need someone to like teach you how to DJ and if you don't have that person that's going to like show you the ropes like you just can't learn like whether you're a woman or like anybody um if you don't have those like connections like you're just not going to learn but now with the internet it's like totally different like I learned on YouTube um so I think like just more accessible education and that's like another reason why solidarity and sound is education focused like whatever form it is um because like I think you just need to create spaces for people to learn and then kind of like they'll take those skills and do like whatever amazing thing they want with it. Um, but yeah, I think part of it is like the education piece. And then also it's like making sure that like um, when they get to that point where they can perform now or like do whatever, they're also like safe. Um, and like we've kind of adjusted our like environment to make it more likely for them to like succeed or like have a level playing field. So education and safety <laughs> is my final answer. <laughs> uh, one of the cool things about the Toronto scene is that a lot of the DJs that are so prominent, you look at uh, like like a JMKM or a Nino Brown mm-hmm. or yourself or a Dre and Gozi, like some of the top DJs in the city are women, which is like, yeah. I think a very unique thing about the Toronto scene. Yeah, I think, you know what? I think that it's literally single-handedly or like a large part because of intercessions. I don't know if you guys are familiar with that. I've attended a couple of their events. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like intercessions, even for me has been like a godsend. Like, you know what, actually noise, now that you mention it, I feel like I've seen you at intercessions, (laughs) like before we were friends. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Like I find like, so yeah, if like you're not familiar, if you're like just listening to this intercessions is a workshop series mostly DJing sometimes production where like all of the teachers are like women in the industry and they just like share their knowledge with other like up-and-coming DJs and producers and I think like that sense of community that they've built over like all these years is so important like for me like that's where I met JM Cam um who's like my DJ mom like <laughs> she's like literally like I don't know if she even realizes how many doors she's opened for me like over the years um but we just like met there the first intercessions I went to I had literally no idea who she was I just like showed up just fresh from Kingston like just trying to like find community and um yeah she was like the teacher for that session and we um what happened I think she yeah she was teaching and then at the end I was telling her that I run this club night and um, I want to start DJing for it, but I'm like nervous and I don't know when the right time is. I think, it, yeah, so this is when I wasn't even like performing yet. So I was just like talking to Jame Kim. I was like, yeah, I want to do this thing, but like, I don't know. I don't know when the right time is. And she just like encouraged me to just basically say fuck it and just try. Um, and she was saying that like she had heard me DJ like, 
like transition between like two or three songs when she was like doing like one-on-one time with everybody and she was like yeah you're fine you can you should just do it and see what happens um and that's kind of like that piece of like encouragement I needed to actually like do it and then I like messaged her later and I was like yeah I did it it wasn't scary I had fun I'm gonna do it again like thanks (laughs) um and then we just like kept in touch for like I guess like now it's been like two or three years um and over time like she would like connect me with people or just like answer questions I would have um and like she's a very like important part to like my story but like I would have only met her through intercessions in the community that they have built there and now I can bring like other um other people that are interested in DJing like after seeing me um like I can suggest that they come to this and like learn how to DJ if they want to do it too so I think that's what's like special about Toronto is like what like Chippy has like created mm-hmm. um, with intercessions. And was that kind of your through intercessions? Was that your introduction into kind of the the network of ISO Radio? Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, because um, at the time ISO didn't exist yet. Like, yeah, because Joe like uh, Jame Cam, she created ISO with her partner Frieza Chin. And so I met Josephine or James Cam um, at that day at intercessions. And then eventually, like, we were having coffee, like, one random day. Um, and she was, like, telling me that she has this idea for a radio station because she just, she'd just come back from the UK and, like, was really inspired by, like, all the stations that were out there. And she was like, yeah, like, you maybe, like, Solidarity and Sound should have a show on it or something. And at the time, I was like, yeah that'd be cool like I don't know keep me posted I don't know like like that sounds cool um I had no concept of like what it was going to be like and then sure enough in like typical like JMKM fashion within like a matter of like like a very short time her idea was like a real thing that existed in the world uh because she's like such a powerhouse and yeah and then so then we started talking about like what our show could be like but yeah like all of those things are through like JMKM and consequently like intercessions <laughs> one of the, one of the dope things i've seen just through conversations and through just random tweets is like now with things kind of slowing down with the pandemic is we see a lot of djs like going on instagram live and doing sets mm-hmm. and people are saying there is way more authenticity as well as kind of like allowing the dj to take you on a journey rather than just like going to a playlist yeah yeah so like I, like my, my home our homie strick i he was he tweeted this <laughs> other day he just said something along the lines of you know there is something more beautiful about watching a dj lead a set than it is to just like click on a playlist by some curator mm-hmm. yeah i would agree with that COVID has definitely been interesting um in a lot of different ways like i think there's more freedom for djs to just like play whatever they want because i know for me like I'm not going to, like, take out my gear right now to play for free and, like, play music I don't like. Like, I just, why would I do that? Like, in this dreadful time we're in, like, why am I going to play things I don't want? <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, and there's, like, no clubs or anything that I have to, like, cater to. I could just play literally whatever I want. And if you want to listen to it, that's great. And if you don't, that's also okay. Um, and I think that there's, like, yeah, like, there's there hasn't been, like, the same kind of like freedom in that way um where the dj is just like yeah we're not listening to this 
this is what we're listening to. Because, um, like, yeah, I think for me, like, I'm not, I don't really, I'm not a huge fan of the live streams. I just feel like as a DJ, like, I'm not a really, like, entertaining person to look at. Like, I'm not, like, dancing up and down. Like, I'm literally, I look mad, like, when I DJ. And I, I'm trying <laughs> to fix it. <laughs> but I just, like, look angry because I'm, like, thinking <laughs> about what to play next. So, like, I like to think I let the music kind of, like, speak for itself. But that doesn't, like, translate into, like, very interesting, like, IG lives. So, I've just been putting out mixes because uh, I feel like that's more like what makes sense. Um, but yeah, I know like even for my mixes, like I'm just playing like what I want and like nothing else. Um, and I think that there's um, there is something special about knowing that you're um, like what you're listening to is like carefully like thought out by a person. It's not on shuffle. It's not like like dragged and dropped uh, into a playlist. Like I've sat there, I've like got all the songs and I've like picked certain parts I want to listen to and like the vibe for this mix. And like, it's just a whole thing. Um, And I think people are making them like extra special and interesting during this time where there's like no real like restrictions. Yeah, it's like the the DJ is taking the listener on a journey. Yeah. How do you get from this song to this song to this song? And yeah, I think there's something beautiful about that where you're you're kind of leading someone through it rather than just here's a list, listen to it. Yeah, I think like like ideally like that's what DJing should be like all the time. But then like it's not always like going to be like that. Um, Like, yeah, when you're like in a club at like 1 a.m., like the crowd will only want to listen to Megan Thee Stallion. And that's fine. Like, I get it. But like there isn't always like that level of freedom like you can't drop like a a random song and expect people to dance that's just not how they are here (laughs) right (laughs) i feel like uh like when you're doing your job within a club or whatever space um you have to curate the room right whereas if you're online it's more so let me show you my skill and if Mm -hmm. if you like what you're listening to you'll stick around so then you tend to siphon out the people who may not be into what you're playing. They might be into you as a DJ, but then you'll get the people that are on the same vibe as you, and then they just follow your journey. And I, I feel like that that's the cool thing that's happened. And and with all these DJs, like, it, it, there's nothing visually stimulating about anybody, like, DJing in front of their decks yeah. or anything. <laughs> like, yeah, you have your more, more vocal DJ who can work the crowd mm-hmm. with the microphone or so, <laughs> right? But then you also have your great djs who won't say anything to you and they'll just do their set right so it's it's cool to see the way everybody does it but i feel it i feel like it's definitely needed at this time because music does heal all and it's very cool to go down a set that you may not put on a playlist or songs that you may not put in a certain order and just let somebody take you through that journey and i've been doing that a lot lately i've just been listening to people and and just okay whatever genre or whatever whole rabbit hole they decide to go down i i enjoy it and it might open our ears to different tastes and you know hopefully going forward we can appreciate what the djs have done for us in our time of uh quarantine yeah i think for me like when everything like when everyone and their mom was like starting to go live i was like really wondering like should I do that too? Like, is like everyone's doing it? Uh, but then I just decided, like, I just like don't want to do that. 
and but it was like a really weird like thing where I was like I don't know everyone's doing it like I feel like maybe okay. I should too <laughs> and then I was I like, like no I every I feel like any artist or any creative was kind of like yeah. oh should I do that I, yeah I even myself I had those thoughts I'm like what would I even do though yeah <laughs> yeah it's just like you're yeah. doing it to do it at that point yeah and then I think like over time I was like I'm just like not in the mood to do things I don't want to do right now so no live streams for me <laughs> Um, so you you are somebody that um, obviously you're from Brampton you're very involved in the scene here Uh, what are your thoughts on the the Brampton music scene and how much it has grown like just what are your your general thoughts about just the level of talent coming out of the city right now Ooh, okay I feel like I've accidentally become this like Brampton mascot without realizing (laughs) but it's okay I'm embracing it um yeah so I've always lived in Brampton I mean aside from like I lived in Guelph for four years and then I lived in Kingston for like a few months actually because I did part of my degree remotely so but other than that I've just like been in Brampton um and I've always well I think ever since I came back and I started to kind of get a taste of what music scenes are like in other parts of the GTA um, and I would, like, meet artists from, like, Markham or Vaughn or Scarborough or wherever. Um, people in Brampton definitely stick out. And at first I thought I was just biased because I'm from here and, like, we can... It's just easier to connect with people that kind of have grown up in, like, similar circumstances. So I was like, oh, I just probably like you as a person and that's why I think your music is sick. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, it just kept happening. And I was like, no, I feel like you just have, like, really good music. Um, so... I don't, I can't really speak much on, like, the scene, like, before, I would say, yeah, before even, like, 2018. Like, I don't, I just wasn't here, like, during my, like, like, the years from, like, 2013 to, like, 18 or whatever. Um, And then I wasn't, like, DJing or I didn't really have, like, a special, like, extra special connection aside from, like, doing piano and, like, doing recitals and kind of, like, seeing my other peers that were making music and stuff out of that. Um, But, yeah, definitely in the years that I've been hopping around, like, the GTA and, like, connecting with different artists, something stands out about Brampton. I don't... I think it's just, like... I think it's our, I guess... I want to say diversity, but that sounds so (laughs) cliché. (laughs) or like our multiculturalism but I think it's just something um about the different sounds and like I think also maybe like the like cultures that make up Brampton like Caribbean South Asian like they're so music heavy like all of those houses are like partying all the time they're like playing all this music and I feel like that like has to come out some way in the like youth um so and because I, I feel like I see a similar thing in Scarborough, which has like I think a similar makeup to Brampton, mm-hmm. um, and like a lot of like immigrant families as well, and I feel like there's some kind of like connection, like some reason that that's like plays a part into it, and I don't know what it is. I just kind of sense that that's like part of it, and then also just Brampton being like one of those places that like everyone shits on f- for everything, so. Like, if you're going to be from here, I feel like you have to, like, just over-deliver to, like, deal with that. <laughs> Most definitely. 
Um, it, I feel like also like a little bit, it, it's a little bit of that thing. Like there's not much to do around here. So, oh, yeah. you know, that's where the basement studios pop up. And just like me and noise, like over 10 years ago, like, you know, we just had a love of music. We, we happened to know a friend who had somewhat of a basement studio. And then mm-hmm. the first time you realize you can make music and you can send <laughs> it to your friends and like, you know, it's. And now, obviously, it's a lot easier, but it's it's the excitement when when there's not much else to do around. You find ways, like you know, the young impressionable mind is always going to find a way to to find excitement in whatever way, right? So, I feel like a lot of people come out of Brampton because, yeah, a we have to have that th- uh, that tough skin of being from Brampton and hearing all that bullshit that comes with being from here, but also there's you know, if if there's not much to do, so it's like you you tend you tend to figure out ways to occupy your time, and luckily there's a lot of talented, creative people who have come from the city. So it, it, yeah. you know, now we're we're seeing it a lot more now. But you know what? Um, I feel like it's gonna get even greater and greater. And in in any city that has the the same, you know, a multicultural makeup that we do have here. Yeah, that's a really good point, Um, because I talk about that a lot, is that there's literally, like, the city was not, like, it was not, like, urban planned for young people, so now we're all kind of, like, there's nothing to do. (laughs) Um, So I think that's definitely a part of it, is, like, this kind of, like, chaotic uh, or, like, disappointing, like, urban planning that just leaves young people, which is the majority of the city, ironically, just kind of, like, twiddling their thumbs and like creating stuff so definitely that's i think a really good point it it, it leaves a space for us creatives to leave the next generation in a better space right now that we see that we have all this talent (laughs) brewing here i feel like it's up to us to figure out ways to 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 harbor these talents right and I, i feel like we're all heading in the right direction and hopefully it takes a bunch of creatives working together to to figure out these spaces so the like the the likes of the two of you who do workshops within the city and the GTA, you know, it's it's it is very important for the next generation because these are these are things that we didn't have growing up and and we 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 made the we made the best out of what we had, right? So if we can leave them in a better place, that is ultimately why we have been doing this show is to share these stories and inspire the next generation to kind of leave them in a better spot than we yeah my like like ultimate like dream is to have like a venue in brampton like i want to open like a like a small like dive bar like concert venue because i just like yeah we need it like there's so many now there's so many like creative people that just need a place to perform but also just from like my business background it's like the most like wildly overlooked business opportunity and like it just blows my mind because yeah there's all these people that need a place to hang out or perform or like do whatever and if you had just one it would just have a monopoly and I don't know this is like I say this every day and I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir but like I I just like go around and I'm like someone needs to do this or like I someone has to give me money to do this (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Nav too. Our friend uh, Nav Nanway. He's been talking mm-hmm. about uh, converting the old Brampton Theater downtown. 
because it's just kind of sitting there now at this point. It's been the sitting Heritage there for years. Theater? Yeah. I think He's they're going like, to knock it down. Needs... Which is not a good idea. Um, <laughs> yeah, Nav's like, if we could turn that into like a music venue, because yeah. the, the city doesn't have one. Like, you have to go to, to Toronto to perform somewhere because like yeah. Mississauga, there's not a whole lot. Brampton, there's not a whole lot. So, you know, there, something's got to give at this point, it feels like. Yeah, it's so strange. And I think it's another thing of like, the land ex- is so expensive that like the people that have the money to buy or rent just would never think to open a venue. And I don't know like what the solution is to that. Yeah, I think like that's like another thing is like if you had another city that had no real venue, the land wouldn't cost that much, you know, mm-hmm. like it's just like another thing that's so weird. Brampton's actually really weird, I find, like from like a city standpoint, like a lot of it, it's just like doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> just uh, we've been caught in the cycle of just building houses and places for people yeah. to stay, but, but let's not give these people anything to do. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there are. It is leading in a better direction than what it was, but Mm -hmm. ultimately, it's you know, there's so much more that can be done to to facilitate these areas, to promote the creative arts and stuff like that. But like I said, you know, hopefully, it's our generation that can help it easier for the next one. And uh, you know, uh, we owe we owe it to the youngins to leave them off in a better place than we were. Dope. Okay, so I think we we will close it there. But as we like to do at the end of every episode, uh, we like to have everybody on the show name one thing that they're grateful for. Um, it could be a person, whether or not you know this person personally or not. Um, it could just it could be an object that you have in your life that you're really grateful that you have. Just any energy that you want to honor today. Ooh, I, okay. Because I've listened to you, I've listened to this podcast before, and I know you guys do this, but I totally forgot. <laughs> that now that I'm on this, this will be a question I'm asked. Um, but let me see. I think um, I think these days I'm really grateful for like the friends I've made pre-COVID, um, and that like I've just like I think my favorite thing to do has been just like like yeah like calling my friends and like checking up on them and like even like doing the culture calls interviews and just like talking to people that like are my friends but I wouldn't necessarily like I'm not gonna like one-on-one like video call noise like (laughs) but like we can do an interview and like that's like more likely and I think it's like I'm really happy that I have all these like avenues to like connect with my friends in this time where I am kind of by myself (laughs) Mm -hmm. so I'm just grateful for the people I know (laughs) Yeah, along those lines, I would say I'm I'm grateful for for my nieces. Um, mm. You know, they've been home. They've been doing their schooling at home. I've I've been working from home, so we've had a lot of chance to to just to just hang out together. Like we'll just play Mario Kart, or I'll just help mm. them with their homework, and just like little moments like that that you under normal circumstances you wouldn't get to have because everyone would be at work or at school or, you know, doing a million different things. Uh, like they're active, they're in different activities, but now that things have slowed down, everybody's home and it's just given us an opportunity to just hang. And like, especially in this stage of their lives when they are so young, like they're seven and nine, like these are, you know, they're important years, like childhood years, like the best years of their life. So I'm glad I get to to get that extra time with them. 
that I, I, I wouldn't normally get. So, yeah, I'm grateful for them. That's amazing. You know, you better shout out my nieces. Tell them that uh, <laughs> then I said, what up? Yeah, I miss them. They're such, uh, <laughs> such beautiful little girls. Yeah, they're always asking. They're like, um, so Magic has a dog named Izzy. Mm. And so they're always like, when can we go to Izzy's house? <laughs> that's like exactly how i would talk as a child i'd be like i just want to know about the animals how are they when can i see them <laughs> no, it's so funny the last time i i went to noise house and they were there uh they were just like how's it they didn't even care about me they were just wondering about izzy man so <laughs> izzy, izzy's definitely the fan favorite yeah um okay what am i thankful for grateful for um in well, basically through these times, you know, it's, I feel like I've had a lot of time to catch up with certain friendships, even uh, time that I've spent with my brother. Like my brother lives literally one block up the road. And sometimes, you know, we can get lost in work and schedules. And, you know, by the end of the day, or like, I could literally drive 10 minutes up the road to see him, but it's like, oh, I'm just tired today. So don't worry about <laughs> it. Right. But then, now when a pandemic com- comes, you realize how important these simple day-to-day things are, right? So it's like me and my brother have been going on bike rides. Like we haven't done that since, you know, since we were kids, you know, so back in Norway. So, so like, you know, just like reliving our childhood as grown adults. And he has a little hitch on the back for my nephew and stuff like that. So it's a, it, it's kind of cool. It's nostalgic. And um, even stuff like We've been dropping out, like my wife has this very famous like jalapeno uh, popper dip that she makes. So she's been making it and we've just been dropping it off to a couple of the homies and stuff like that. And it's like little gestures of kindness that have been happening through this time and that we should be doing every day anyways. But, you know, I'm glad that this time has reminded me to take time out of our days to do little kind things. So... You know, like that's something I'm grateful for, and I'm I, I'm hoping that you know the rest of the world is is and you know getting to see these little acts of kindness and feel inspired themselves to do them as well. I was just yeah. gonna say, where can uh, where can people connect with you and Solidarity and Sound? Okay, so um, I am on Instagram a lot. That's like the social my like social media like weapon of choice. Um, my handle is Roshani with two underscores, R-O-S-H-A-N-I-E underscore underscore. Um, what else do I do? I have SoundCloud. Um, like same. Like if you just like search Roshani on like any of these things, I'm there. I have Spotify. I make playlists sometimes. Um, yeah, I guess same thing for Solidarity and Sound. It's just that as like the handle on most things, and we're mostly on Instagram. And then we have our monthly radio show on ISO um, that you can like listen to us and our voices, <laughs> and the music that we like. Um, I think that's everything. I'm like, I always like DMs and stuff. Like if people want to chat, I'm always like down to chat, especially people that like if they want to like learn how to DJ or break into like that kind of like space of music, I'm, like super excited when people like ask me about stuff. Um, so yeah, if you have like any questions or anything you want to talk about, I'm pretty, I like to think I'm pretty approachable. So yeah, even though I look really mad when I DJ, I'm, I'm really, <laughs> I think pretty friendly. <laughs> well, that's awesome. When me and Noise decide to become, uh, some old ass DJs, we'll definitely <laughs> hit you up and, uh, try to learn the trade. Yeah, but, uh, I'll no, teach you uh, everything. 
Thank you. And uh, we, we do thank you for taking time out during the quarantine to chill with us and talk to us and share your story. And we definitely do appreciate it. And we hope that the listeners learned something today and we inspired a young mind to go out there and follow their passions. So we want to thank you again. You're always welcome. And definitely you got to come through to Gumble Studios when mm. the quarantine is over. And we'll do it all again and we'll talk some music stuff. But thank you for joining us today. Uh, this has been another episode of Immigrant Hustle Podcast. Okay.